Interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Welcome to our first emergency weekend podcast on Compliance Into the Weeds. This is the Friday Night Massacre podcast. As last night at approximately 9 Eastern, the Attorney General announced that the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York was resigning. The Attorney for the Southern District of New York said that was news to him and he had no intention of resigning. We take this up, the unusual set of facts, and what it may mean for the SEC and compliance going forward. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back with the coolest guy in compliance, Matt Kelly, for our first ever, not emergency podcast, but emergency weekend podcast. Because last night we had what I've called the Friday Night Massacre. Matt, a heck of a news story to wake up to on a Saturday morning. What happened on Friday night when we were all asleep? Uh, Yeah, this is pretty crazy. I will try to recap it, but we're going to have to unpack a lot of this. Uh, So late Friday evening, Attorney General William Barr announced that President Trump plans to nominate the sitting SEC chairman, Jay Clayton, to be the next U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. So Clayton would replace the sitting U.S. attorney for the Southern District, Jeffrey Berman. Um, And then while Clayton's uh, confirmation is pending in front of the Senate, Berman's office would be run on an interim basis by Craig um, Carpenito, Carpenito, uh, who is the U.S. attorney for New Jersey. But the key point here being that Jeffrey Berman in the Southern District of New York, Barr said he was resigning immediately and thanked him for his two-plus years of service and all of the nice flowery stuff that you would have. So that was the first phase of the Friday Night Massacre. Um, and then, of course, uh, just to make things juicy, because this is the Trump administration, uh, the U.S. Attorney Berman returned fire in the Friday Night Massacre, putting out a statement that, A, he has not resigned, B, he is not going to resign, and he will stay in office until a Senate-confirmed appointment uh, successor has been uh, pushed through. Now, for the record, as of this morning, Donald Trump has not actually nominated Jay Clayton to be the next U.S. attorney. Uh, That might be forthcoming over the weekend. I don't doubt that this is true, but as of right now, The president has not nominated Jay Clayton. Uh, He would need to be nominated, and then he would need to be confirmed by the Senate. Um, And according to William Barr, then while that is happening, Craig Carpenito would be running the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York. Um, But Berman is saying, nope, I'm not leaving. And this is the tricky part. Three years ago, in 2017, when Donald Trump fired the previous U.S. attorney for New York, Preet Bharara, who was a holdover from the Democrat administration, um, that was another case where Donald Trump originally said he wanted Preet Bharara to stay in office. Uh, Then he decided that Preet Bharara should be fired. Preet was fired. Um, Berman stepped in on an interim basis, but... 
because Trump never got around to formally nominating Berman and then going through the Senate confirmation process, that never happened with Berman. His appointment became permanent under a quirk in the law where the chief judge of the Southern District did sort of, I guess, formally bless Berman's role as U.S. Attorney for New York. Because he was never formally appointed by the president and the Senate, but rather sort of, I guess, I don't know what the word is, enshrined as U.S. Attorney for New York through the Southern District's uh, judges, the law is not clear that Berman can be fired right now. He can only be replaced by a Senate-confirmed appointee. Um, Okay, that might be Clayton, but that could be months away. We don't know. The Senate does not work very quickly. So we have this total mess here where A.G. Barr says Berman is out and Jay Clayton is going to leave the Securities and Exchange Commission to replace him. But meanwhile, Berman is saying, I'm not leaving. I have not been fired and you can't fire me. Maybe he'll challenge it in court. And so here we are Saturday morning, all of us just wondering what happened. And I mean, we could go on from there. So let me geek out with a little law here and give the statutory basis for how we got to where we are now with the appointment of Berman. Uh, As noted, Matt, uh, he was... um, appointed on a temporary basis, and if an appointment expires uh, under, or rather I should reference 28 U.S.C. 546, uh, under subsection C allows for the appointment of an interim uh, attorney. Section D of section five, subsection D of 546 reads, if an appointment expires under subsection C2, the district court for such district may appoint a U.S. attorney to serve until the vacancy is filled. The order of appointment shall be by the court, filed with the clerk of the court. That order reads, in in pertinent part, order that Jeffrey Berman be and hereby is appointed U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York pursuant to 28 U.S.C. 546D, the enabling statute, effective upon the expiration of Mr. Berman's current 120-day term, which expires on 11.59 p.m. May Four, 2018, unless the President of the United States nominates and the Senate confirms the United States Attorney for the district prior to that time. So we have uh, a very anomalous situation where the district court has actually appointed this uh, attorney for the U.S. District uh, Southern District of New York, and there's a pretty good argument that the language of 546D means that Berman gets to keep serving in that post until the vacancy is filled through Senate confirmation. So uh, some really juicy legal points here for my lawyer brethren out there to geek over. But while uh, we may geek over that on another podcast, Matt, let's go back to some of the implications of uh, the facts you outlined and, and, and literally what that might mean for securities law enforcement, FCPA enforcement, white collar enforcement, or just um, – the Department of Justice and the Securities and Exchange Commission. Yeah, so I had a post about this. I popped up this morning on radical compliance, and I started by just asking a couple of basic questions. And what is this all really about? Like, why did Barr do this? And I believe it is fairly clear that Barr is doing this because he wants to quash uh, cases that the Southern District is investigating against either the president personally Uh, the president's campaign, the president's business interests housed in the Trump organization or close associates to the president. But there are a host of 
very unflattering political implications for a lot of these cases, which the president does not need to have blow up in his face, uh, especially during an election year where right now, at least, it looks like he will have a very difficult time getting reelected. But for example, Berman has been investigating Rudy Giuliani, who is the president's personal attorney and general fixer and hanger on in the White House. Uh, But he's been investigating Giuliani, has already indicted two of Giuliani's business associates for their work helping the Trump administration to pressure the Ukrainian government to investigate Joe Biden, which led to the impeachment scandal that we all saw earlier this year. Uh, Berman also secured the conviction of Michael Cohen, Trump's former personal attorney, for helping Trump to funnel $130,000 in hush money to that porn star, Stormy Daniels, for a fling she had with the president at some point back in the past. Um, And the interesting thing, I think, is actually the Michael Cohen case is that Trump was an unindicted co-conspirator in that case. And so when you read that uh, indictment, it is individual one is named as working with Cohen and president is individual one. So, for example, I could see a scenario where Barr installs a crony in the Southern District who then uh, reopens the Cohen case and decides to reinvestigate it moves to vacate Cohen's conviction, individual one then eludes prosecution, uh, even if individual one loses the election in November, because right now, if he loses, uh, the statute of limitations would still apply to all of those campaign uh, finance law violations that happen there. So Trump could face prosecution in a Democratic administration if he loses. Um, But If you somehow erase this Michael Cohen case right now, then Trump could evade prosecution on it later on if he is a private citizen again starting in January 2021. So there's that. Um, Tom, I know you've been wondering, is Rudy Giuliani about to get indicted, which would not look good for the president? Um, There was another question around how the Justice Department and how Berman's uh, office in particular Uh, handled the case of a bank in Turkey called Halk Bank, which uh, was forced to settle with the Southern District over Halk Bank's work to help Iranian government interests violate U.S. sanctions law. And as I understand it, Halk Bank is friendly with the president of Turkey, who is friendly with the president of the United States. And so there are all sorts of unseemly implications here. But basically, we've already seen Bill Barr do this, uh, where he has tried to intercede in cases that are politically awkward for the president, uh, such as Michael Flynn, the former national security advisor who pleaded guilty to lying to federal investigators about his dealings with Russia. And I cannot believe this is a conversation we're actually having about a president of the United States. But nonetheless, um, Michael Flynn pleaded twice uh, to that that case, and now my um, AG Barr is trying to get that case dropped and dismissed, and that's all been tied up in court. Uh, we have also seen AG Barr remove the U.S. attorney in Washington D.C., who also would handle a lot of cases that are politically awkward for the president, uh, and then install his closer aides and confidants into the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington. I think Barr is trying to do the same thing here. This tramples all sorts of uh, good practice around fair and objective investigations. 
independence of the Justice Department, equal protection under the law. This is all about just getting the cronies in there so that A.G. Barr can cover up all of the misdeeds that are under investigation in New York and Washington, D.C., and probably anywhere else he could find, so that Barr and his boss, the president, can keep skating and avoid either personal legal jeopardy or political jeopardy when now that we have an election coming up. That's, I think, what this is all about. So, Matt, let me pick up on the Hawk Bank, uh, Hall Bank, I believe, or Hall Bank. Uh, and I say that, it's unclear to me if it's Hall, H-A-L-L, or Hawk, H-A-L-K. Nevertheless, this was an interesting excerpt from uh, John Bolton's book, where Bolton said that uh, uh, the president of uh, Turkey, Erdogan, uh, pressured Trump to drop this investigation, and Trump told him that uh, he had to get his own prosecutors in the Southern District of New York to help uh, because they were Obama prosecutors and he couldn't control them. So I think it was interesting that this, obviously the the Bolton book came out this week and this information came out as well. Uh, I would note that Erica Orden at CNN has reported there have been tensions for months between Barr and Berman. Uh, it's unclear, though, why these came to a head at, at this point in time, although one other thing you correctly note in uh, – your radical compliance piece, um, the Friday night uh, press release from uh, the U.S. government, usually it's about 5 p.m. Well, I think this one is at, was at 9 p.m. They really buried this, and we're moving towards uh, Gerald Ford's uh, Sunday a.m. pardon of Richard Nixon for uh, trying to miss the news cycles. Well, you know, Tom, I think you brought up a good point here uh, when you dropped John Bolton's book into the conversation, because one question I've had is, why now. Not necessarily why late Friday night, because that's what this administration does. A Friday night news dump is not news for these guys, but why this Friday night? Because this is all that the Democrats are going to talk about on the news shows on Sunday morning. You know, there's going to be inquiries opened within 48 hours as soon as Congress reconvenes on Monday morning. Why this Friday night, when this is going to step all over Donald Trump's rally in Tulsa, which is happening today, and that was going to be his great big showy thing, and he was going to run the news cycle for the weekend and reinvigorate his campaign, and this has stepped on that. So clearly, there was some urgency that this has to happen today, and I don't know why, but you brought up John Bolton's book, which is probably going to get published any day now. Um, it already is essentially, you know, substantively what the book says is already out in the news world. Um, and Bolton has an awful lot of allegations about that things are much worse with the Donald Trump administration than we have ever understood before, but much worse about political favoritism, uh, you know, playing uh, favorites with, you know, Obama prosecutors versus Trump prosecutors. Never mind the fact that, again, Jeffrey Berman is somebody that Trump allowed to be put into office. He is not an Obama prosecutor. He's a Trump prosecutor that Trump never got around to formally nominating, but he's his guy. Um, all these allegations around Hulk Bank, which I just looked up, H-A-L-K, difficult to pronounce, but nonetheless. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if there are other allegations in the John Bolton book that we're all going to know about next week that might somehow prompt Berman's office to open new investigations or 
provide valuable intel to ongoing investigations. And so Barr had to do this right now. But like, he's paying a high political price for doing that on this particular Friday night. So clearly he thought the juice was worth the squeeze. I just don't necessarily know exactly what that squeeze was. Matt, I should note that the federal district court in Washington, D.C. denied the Department of Justice's application for an injunction against the publication of the Bolton book. So unless the DOJ runs to the D.C. Court of Appeals for an emergency stay, uh, it looks like this book will be published. But Matt, I'd really like to now turn to a part of your uh, blog post that I'd like to explore in some depth, which is the SEC angle in this. You've really been prolific in writing about some of the directions uh, Chairman Clayton has wanted to go. He's moved in in certain directions around rulemaking, and occasionally you and I have found merit with that. Occasionally we've questioned it, but we seem to believe he had a clear sense of a direction he wanted to go. Um, What happens to that direction if he leaves, if Pierce is appointed, or does the SEC essentially go rudderless for the next six months? You know, those are all excellent questions that nobody has fully understood yet. Um, so here are my questions about this. You know, first and foremost, why does Jay Clayton want this job? Uh, allegedly, according to the reporting I've seen, he has been interested in being the New York prosecutor for several months at least. Um, he had also said he wanted to leave the SEC at the end of this year. That would be serving out the first term of the Trump administration. So it's not surprising that Clayton might want to leave. I'm just surprised that he would want to leave for the prosecutor's job. He has no experience as a prosecutor, doesn't necessarily need it. And he certainly, you know, his um, experience as a Wall Street lawyer would help him understand a lot of the complex corporate issues that come along in the New York district. But I don't get why he would want this job. He can make boatloads more money going back to his law firm. But nonetheless, apparently he had expressed some interest in this job. Uh, Bill Barr did not want uh, Jeff Berman in there anymore, and so he decided to try and put everything together this way. Let's assume it happens. What happens to the SEC after that? My best guess is that the Trump administration would name sitting SEC Commissioner Hester Pierce to be acting chairman. Um, she has been head of, well, she has been in the, the commission in her seat. She's a Republican appointee. She's been in there since uh, January 2018. My best guess is that the Trump administration would promote Hester Pierce, who is a Republican commissioner on the, uh, the SEC. They would promote her to be acting chairman. Um, they could also maybe promote uh Elad Roisman, who is the other GOP commissioner on the commission these days. Both of them have been in their roles since 2018. Uh, Commissioner Pierce since early 2018, Commissioner Roisman since late 2018. Uh, But if the administration nominates somebody to be a permanent SEC chair, and somehow that person gets appointed, And in a timely, speedy manner through the U.S. Senate, which I don't believe would happen because that just doesn't happen. But any new SEC chairman would then risk being out of a job if the Democrats win in November. That person would have to leave come January 2021. So anybody who is smart 
would see that's a big career risk. I don't want to be the new permanent SEC chairman. Uh, let's just wait and see who actually wins in November. That would also include any sitting commissioner who gets promoted to be chairman. Then he or she would lose their job if they wind up uh, serving under a new Democrat administration. So then they'd be out. But if you promote a sitting commissioner to be acting chairman, and then Joe Biden wins, he decides he's going to have his own SEC chairman come in. The acting chairman would just get busted back down to being regular SEC commissioner, and they still keep their jobs. Uh, So I think that is going to happen. I suspect it would be uh, Hester Pierce because she's served there longer. On the other hand, Commissioner Roisman has worked in the commission as a SEC staffer, so he's got some sense of how this commission should work and flow. Um, I, so I think it's, we're going to see an acting commissioner and we're going to see a complement of only four rather than the full five SEC commissioners from now till the rest of the year. What does all of that mean for SEC enforcement, SEC policymaking, your dealings with the SEC if you're a company who is talking with them these days? Probably not much on the day-to-day practical level. Enforcement actions are still going to grind on slowly. SEC comment letters, you're still going to have to answer those. Quarterly filings still have to happen. Um, and I don't know that any big SEC policy changes would happen just because the SEC has a lot of chaotic stuff going on right now with COVID. Um, it may be that Commissioner Pierce or Roisman, if they're acting chairs, might decide to pick up some banner issue and try and force it through. But this is an election year. It's very possible Donald Trump is going to lose. I don't know that that would make them go and take up big initiatives or would they try and rush something through that might get reversed next year? I don't know. But on a practical basis, I don't know that this will affect compliance officers on a day-to-day basis. But if you are interested in politics, like, wow, you got a good show to watch right now. So um, really this, this is, I think one of the most stunning things I've, I've seen, even out of this administration, and frankly, it's unbelievable just the ways they can screw things up. And I really like, like um, your comment that we all thought yeah. Barr was a diabolical genius. And the reality is, you know, he's just another putz executing Trump's orders. You know, I, I, I want to pick up on that. And thank you for uh, putting that idea in my head, because I have said this before. Everybody says that A.G. Barr is some brilliant brain. I don't doubt that he's fairly intelligent compared to the rest of the Trump administration and Trump's inner circle, he's setting a very low bar. But nonetheless, you know, it, I think that A.G. Barr could be uh, brighter than most in the administration. But I don't know that he is very good at his job. I can see where he might be a very good lawyer and know how to press a case, but you look at the political steps that he's taken, it's really hasn't done his boss any favors. Um, that stunt of tear gassing and clearing out protesters in front of the White House, that blew up in his face. Um, this clearly is going to be a expensive move to uh, expensive battle to pick and fight. So I don't know that Barr really is all that deft at the political dimensions to this job. Um, you know, and frankly, I've called on him to resign before because I think he is um, amoral and unscrupulous about doing political favors for Donald Trump. I think he's great as a Donald Trump defense attorney. I just think that that's not the role of the attorney general. Um, 
but he seems to make a lot of very expensive tactical moves, and I just wonder whether they're worth the price. The only other point that I would want to close out on, the thing that concerns me a bit is, let's say you are a large company, and you wind up at the wrong end of a big corporate conduct scandal. You have two courses in front of you. You can either engage with the Justice Department, build up a compliance program, do all of that stuff, spend a boatload of money on that, or your CEO or board chairman who is best buds with Donald Trump can just give a 2 or $3 million donation to the reelection campaign and say, I want this to- case to go away. Well, it's very clear that Trump would be more than happy to drop a case, and I do think that A.G. Barr would also be more than happy to water down an enforcement action for some political crony or a favorite of the president. So that's the thing that sticks with me a lot as I watch all of this. Like, how does this really matter to corporate compliance? I could easily see if, God help us, Donald Trump wins a second term and A.G. Barr is still in office, they're just going to start handing out favoritism in corporate prosecutions based on, you know, like just candy. And if you're you're a company just looking at what is the dollar value of my money, should I give two million to the president to make a case go away, or should I spend four million beefing up a compliance program? Why wouldn't you just give him two million dollars and shut the whole thing down? Which is a terrible attitude to have. And it does nothing for corporate ethics and compliance. But I don't think Donald Trump gives a rat's ass about corporate ethics and compliance. And I don't know that A.G. Barr really does either. He seems to be just interested in being the defense lawyer for a very unscrupulous man in the White House. And that's where we are. And I don't know what that means for corporate compliance generally, but I don't think it's very high on the priority list for either of those two men. Matt, I think that's a great note to end this uh, emergency weekend podcast on. Uh, I'm sure we'll uh, hear a lot more and maybe uh, we'll even find uh, room for another uh, podcast on a regular episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. All right. Thank you, Tom. I hope you've enjoyed this special emergency weekend podcast of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can reach Matt Kelly at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can reach me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. We're going to continue to follow the story and see where it may take us over the next days and weeks. But please join us next Wednesday for our regularly scheduled episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.